everyone, like literally everyone. Yeah. Um, apologies if you're in this quadrant, I can't actually see you. Hey, hey, um, so, hey, Haley. Um, yeah, you can move around to one of the complexes you like, but um, otherwise, I'll just um, just imagine that I'm looking at you intently as I'm speaking. Um, this is directed just for you. No, it's not. Um, cool. Um, we are in. Um, this middle zone between um, seasonal guide Easter edition and seasonal guide Pentecost edition. Um, and also, I get this great week in between Cindy Burakiri, big prophet, amazing person, and Vision Sunday. Um, so, um, yeah, cool. So, I was like, what am I going to speak on? And I just went to the lectionary because that's safe. Um, but also, it has some great things in it. Um, turns out in Eastertide you're meant to speak from Acts, so that also saved my decision of what um, what of the many passages I could speak from. Um, today's passage is Acts 9, 1 to 20, um, which if you want to know the little heading of is Paul's conversion or Saul's conversion. Um, so I'll just read it out and then we'll get into it. Cool. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he said. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple called Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in, Israel, in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So there's a lot in there. Um, pretty like... It's like one of those classic um, Sunday school stories um, because it kind of reads a little bit like an action like movie or like a little bit like a 
yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a good story, right? Like flash of light, people go blind, um, and then things like scales falling from people's eyes. Ooh, so much. Um, Luke obviously really liked the story as well. Um, that's Luke who wrote Acts because um, it's recorded in there three times. Um, he just like every time it got to the point where Saul told the story, obviously Luke was like. I'm just going to put it on there again, um, just so you get it, like guys, it was pretty amazing. So Paul, also known as Saul, was a Jewish guy who really hated Jesus' followers. In chronology of Acts, we've met him before when he was living his best like Pharisee Roman citizen life, um, approving of stonings of members of the way who are the followers of Christ. Um, and after the first martyr, who was Stephen, the Christians have kind of scattered and they've gone away from Jerusalem into um, the rest of Judea. And this is when we meet Paul again, and we hold his living and breathing hatred against Christians. He gets some authority from the high priest to go on a little trip and round up anyone of the way in Damascus. And after a dramatic flash of light, voice from heaven saying, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? Which he recognizes as Jesus. And all of a sudden he's blind and probably seriously considering his life choices. And then the story kind of takes this little detour sideways to Ananias, a follower of Jesus in Damascus, and we don't really know a lot more about him except what happens in the story. Um, Ananias hears a message from God with some very specific directions to a house, um, and there he says he'll find Saul praying and he will restore his sight to him. And um, naturally Ananias is a little bit hesitant, um, and God answers Ananias' hesitancy with this this line, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so Ananias goes and does what God says, and it's just like God says. Um, Paul's sight is restored, he's baptized, and um, it's just this complete change of heart and mind. So because things get confusing when people have multiple names, just so you're aware, I'm going to call Saul Paul throughout this talk, even though he's known as Saul at this point. Um, it's just easier. Um, <laughs> apparently, also, I used to think that this was like the, the two things were connected, like Saul changed his name when he became a Christian, but apparently it's not. It's just um, later on, Paul was his Roman name, and um, it was just more convenient to be Paul. So <laughs> that's why he went with it. Sorry if you had like some great... If you've got like a great theology around it, stick with that. Like, I mean, sure, there's some symbolism in there. But, um, <laughs> I'm not going to spend long on it. Um, so, I've been thinking a bit recently, um, some of the study that I've been doing and then coming across this passage, um, what it must have been like to be Jewish after Jesus' time. Um, it would have been very easy to not like these people who upset the status quo and who follow Jesus. Um, the story of Paul's conversion is obviously one which quickly became a legend around Paul. Um, and it's important to the disciples distinguishing themselves as more than just a Jewish sect. Paul does a lot of work in that space. And so the main thing that I could, the main thing that I want to say tonight is just that Jesus changes everything for Paul and will change everything for us too. So kind of seeing these like three kind of sides of what that means um, through this story. And um, because I love story, um, I've kind of framed them all in kind of narrative terms. <coughs> -ish. 
First thing is this, Paul had been a Pharisee. Um, he had been trained in the scripture of the Old Testament. He knew it back to front. He was a Jew morally, physically, socially, politically, pretty much every aspect of his life, his identity as a Jew and as a Pharisee dictated his action. And just a little thing into, um, side note into Jewish um, teachings and things here. Um, so Jewish scripture was taught to um, boys in like three stages. And so up to 10, most Jewish boys had memorized the Torah. And that's the first five books of the De um, Old Testament. Um, and that's incredibly important to the Jews. It's the foundation for which everything else is built on. And it contains the beginning and the four um, God's covenant promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the rules for right living as God's holy people. Um, often down to very like minute details about what to wear and what to eat. Um, and we often mistype this as a bunch of rules, but in the context of the ancient Near East, the Torah was God's way of showing how they could be holy um, and set apart and different and could call other nations to right living. So after the people had learnt the Torah, the best of the best would go on to memorise the Talmud, which is pretty much the rest of the Old Testament. Um, so this includes all the history and the prophecies um, of um, yeah, that we find in our Old Testament today. Um, and it's in here that they would learn how to see the clues for what they saw the end of God's plan was. Um, so they would start to see um, these clues of a messianic promise, a, a messiah coming to them to save them and to redeem them. Um, and it's also how you see God's unrelenting commitment to these people, um, the Jewish people, the Israelites, who are consistently mucking it up. Um, the cycle of atonement and sacrifice for wrongdoing. Um, and then once they turn 15, the best of the best who had made it that far would be apprenticed to a rabbi and they would become their disciples. And as rabbis travel, these bands of disciples would be walking kind of one step behind and um, they'd be kind of covered by the dust um, of um, their rabbi. And Paul had been covered in the dust that had taught him to think a particular way around scripture. Um, the way he was taught and the culture he was steeped in had a huge impact in how he thought about Jesus. So all of this um, kind of bound up to Paul finding, you know, this encounter with Jesus deeply troubling. Um, Jesus was offensive to his identity in many ways. Jesus had become a rabbi, but he was a carpenter. I don't really know. Like maybe he, he didn't, you know, apprentice to a rabbi. Um, he had chosen his disciples not from the best of the best, but from those who had gone to the trades. Um, they had gone home to learn these. They weren't the ones who would normally be chosen. And they would probably be young, so they'd probably be around that 14, 15 age mark when um, Jesus started his ministry. So three years later, he had these like 18 and 19-year-olds running around um, proclaiming this upside-down kingdom, um, where it's not only the best can be holy and right, and it's not these um, interpretations of the law that um, many of the rabbi would have held to. Um, and more than that, they're saying that the Messiah has come, and that is just like, oh, like for Paul, that would have been like, no, that can't happen. Um, you know, his whole identity had been built up in this, um, in what he had um, interpreted and what, what he had been taught. Um, 
we often think of Paul in terms of him being a bad man and then he became a good man. Um, and we create it maybe like can think about it in terms of like uh, an atheist or someone coming to faith. Um, but Paul was incredibly devout. There was never a doubt in his mind that God was God and God was good. It was just that his interpretation of the law blinded him from seeing Jesus as the culmination of everything that he had learnt and memorised. Um, thing is, he kind of just loved this rule book. Um, he'd learnt this reduction of, of what it meant to be God's people into a list of do's and don'ts and shoulds. And um, in this one moment, he sees Jesus and his heart begins to change and encountering Jesus for us as well is it changes the stories that we've always been telling ourselves <coughs> and it changes the stories that we um, are told through our upbringing and our education. And we'll have to confront at some point the fact that our view of Jesus is filtered through our upbringing, filtered through um, the people that we know, the people who we let speak into our lives. And sometimes that makes Jesus unpalatable and sometimes that makes other things really easy to swallow. So the question is, what are we doing to actually submit these things that we think to Jesus? When we look at Jesus's face, where are we intentionally or unintentionally persecuting him and keeping peace with what we think is right? And it's pretty hard to work on this assumption your whole life with one interpretation of the information that you have, um, only to be confronted with something that is so incompatible but known so clearly to be true. And that's what Paul is facing here, and I think sometimes I know I need to face up to So um, there's this way of reading scripture called second narrative reading. Um, in a nutshell, it kind of takes your basic classic mystery novel um, structure and you have like all these random clues throughout, um, throughout the book and pretty much like the scripture is littered with these clues that don't quite make sense. There's prophecies here of what the Messiah will be and there's promises spoken to different people. Um, and you're kind of like at a bit of a loss of what's going on, what's really going on, until this second narrative comes along. And it's not a new story, but it's a retelling of that story, um, now with this like key of information, which makes it all make sense. Um, and so in applying that to scripture, Jesus is this key. After his resurrection, Jesus spends um, a lot of time explaining all these clues to his disciples, how um, what they had read and what they had known pointed to him. Um, and all of these times when he does this, the passages end with the disciples' eyes being opened and them understanding what had been going on the whole time. Jesus' life and resurrection is the key to understanding how the prophecies of a Messiah are met in him and how this is the truth. The thing with the second narrative is that it presents a complete and compelling answer. Um, once a puzzle is complete, there are no gaps left to let gap through. Loose threads are tied up and there is no way that there can be an alternate story developed unless you're deliberately overlooking something. Um, in the Bible, Jesus is the answer to all the questions raised about the Messiah. It's just not the way anyone thought. Um, 
Paul would have interpreted the law, but his interpretation led to persecution and hatred. And Jesus came to show that that wasn't the way, um, that the way was Jesus, and encountering him would be enough to change his life forever. So this is where Paul and Ananias converge. Paul spends three days fasting and praying in his blindness, and he probably reflects on the face of Jesus that he saw. I think it's important to note that Paul, like the first thing he does is just stop and and go into a deep place of prayer and rest in, in trying to figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, I can imagine he's kind of thinking about all that he had memorized in scripture and um, then just thinking of that face of Jesus that he had seen, the son of the living God, and how that reframes everything that he studied. It's He sees that this is the key to understanding everything he knows. He's, um, he's learnt that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's not just the portal to these things, but he is these things. He looks at Jesus and he knows, and he looks at Jesus and is known. Before, Paul may have known things on an intellectual plane, but Jesus shakes everything up and shows him what it is to be truly holy and set apart. Um, and he doesn't present a new rule book, but he just presents himself. <coughs> the picture God paints of Paul fasting and praying isn't really a clue um, to Ananias that Paul is safe, because that would have always been something that he would have done. He was devout. Um, so when we meet Ananias coming into this, Ananias could be thinking he's going to heal Paul and then be thrown into jail. Um, he has kind of no real clarity over what's going to happen. Um, so Ananias hears this word from God, um, go and tell Paul he's going to be my the person who shares my message with the Gentiles. And um, and we see that Ananias greets Paul as a brother. He prays with teachers and baptizes Paul and celebrates when Paul to go and preach is taken up. Um, so first we saw that Jesus changes how we view other stories. In the second part of the passage, we see how Jesus changes the story we tell ourselves. When we look at Jesus, we are known. And we know. The challenge is where are we rejecting this key of Christ for all areas of our lives? What are we deliberately overlooking um, or holding on to as the key that isn't Christ so um, we don't have to listen to his call for our lives? <coughs> So Paul is now a believer in Jesus as the Messiah, and that's going to shape everything of his life. He's going to have to reshape everything. Um, no longer around murderous threats with those who disagree with him, but he would have probably looked at the teachings of Christ. And the New Testament is mostly pretty much Paul writing um, and, and sharing how, as a Jew, how he became a Christian and, and what the, the implications of that are for him and for for all of us. Um, 
yeah, so this Paul gets this commission to become the teacher to um, to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Um, and he just jumps right in with that. And he goes, um, yeah, he just goes hard. Um, I've always got taught that Paul's conversion was kind of this classic 180 turn. Like he had all these skills and he was like running this way. And then he kind of like flips and runs and like joins another team, but he still has the same skills and tools. But that can't be right because Jesus completely changes his game. Paul can't go on using his position of power. Um, he can't get an authority to imprison those who don't believe as he does, and he doesn't want to because he knows that that's not what Jesus calls him to either. Um, really, the only tool he's left with is Jesus and this knowledge and this deep knowledge of what that means. And I think that's kind of all we have as well. Um, I remember when we started Cuba Chapter, we spent some time with some legends of UV and they said, all we have to offer is Jesus and community. And really all Paul has here is, um, is that, is Jesus and, and his story. And um, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about how throughout the New Testament, um, Paul goes back to this moment and he, he keeps talking about it. But um, in Philippians, um, he does this really clearly and I thought it would be worth sharing. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless. But whatever were gains to me now, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I became rubbish to rely on the powers of this world in order to judge right living. Became rubbish to see the scripture to any identity founded on political or social belonging. It became rubbish to offer anything other than the truth, life and way in Jesus. As I was writing this, I um, I was thinking of this old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And um, earlier this month, I went away with um, my team at the chaplaincy at Vic, and we sung this song, um, and I was just kind of struck by how easy it is to turn your eyes to something. Um, it's this, the tiniest of movements and like the least of muscles necessary to turn your eyes. Um, even when you're tired, even when you're weary, even when you're worn out, you can turn your eyes to Jesus. And I just kind of feel like there's this moment in, with Paul where he's, he's weak because he's fasting and he is so confused that he just keeps turning to that image of the face that he saw at that moment of Jesus.
final challenge I see is encountering Jesus changes the stories we tell others. We may believe what Jesus has done and we may know he has called us to something like Ananias and Paul. But where is fear holding us back from actually living and speaking it out? Where do we need to once again turn our eyes to Jesus to sustain us? Encountering Jesus changed everything for Paul, and it will change everything for us too. It will change the way we view the stories of the world. It will change the stories we tell ourselves. It will change the stories we tell others. And that sometimes is very, very frightening. Encountering Jesus changed everything for Paul, and it will change everything for us. <coughs> and if you don't, know what that means if you've never experienced that or forgotten what it's like to experience that encounter with Jesus. Um, please, I pray tonight that that is where your eyes are open. And um, there is space over by the cross. We'll find someone to pray with you um, and pray for that encounter because I've talked a lot <laughs> and I know it was um, a lot of, teaching because that's where my mind goes but if everything else went over your head or you zoned out or you got bored just remember <laughs> Paul encountered Jesus and everything changed and I just so pray that that's the 